teach the word of God today um, because it is powerful to change our lives. And um, I'm saying this, we obviously teach the word of God every single week, but I'm saying this because there's some work that we got to do in the word of God to realize what the word of God is saying to us and to your life. So I believe that there's going to be a prophetic, like straight from God's mouth word for every single person here today. Do you, do you believe that for yourself? That if you've come here today, it's not by accident nor coincidence because God has drawn you here so that he can give you his heart. This is what we believe every single time that we gather and we open up the word of God. And if you are a new believer or, or curious about God, there's some deep things that we're going to go into today. But I do trust that God is going to speak through his word in a way that I can't. Meaning the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to come touch you right in your heart as you allow him to. And so frame, use that as a frame for your next hour. God, whatever you want to do in my heart, wherever I'm, like, I'm yours, I'm here. Do whatever you want to do. So we just pray together. Jesus, we just ask you as we open up your word, the words of life, that you would meet us exactly where we're at. You're such a personal God. And you dwell within each one of your children. Thank you, Jesus, that you have the word that sustains the weary. That you're that efficient with what you speak. And so we just ask this morning that as we go through your word, we would encounter Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to go, we're going to touch back in to something that we talked about two weeks ago. Remember this message, I framed it, <laughs> framed it this way, can you see it? Are you going to be able to see the thing that God wants to do next in your life? Are you going to be able to recognize the new that God is bringing? It's what Isaiah chapter 43 says, and if you didn't hear this message from two weeks ago, Go and listen to it because it's going gonna, it's gonna to set up what we're talking about today. But if you didn't listen to it, that's fine. We're going to talk about some of the things today. Isaiah chapter 43, it says this, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? The prophet Isaiah, long before Jesus, was speaking about, God was speaking through this prophet saying, I'm going to do a new thing. What he was saying was, what's coming next, you're not going to be able to recognize based upon the things that you have been doing because I'm doing something fresh and I'm doing something new. But the call in this passage of scripture was to get them ready to recognize what God was doing next. You remember this? Can you see it? And so we're going to take a moment again and go back to the banks of the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 3. Do you remember this story? For those of us who are, are new to it, we have this group of people called the Israelites, God's chosen people, and they were enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. And then God one day through a man named Moses comes and says, let my people go. Moses, the deliverer representing God, says, let the people of God go go free. Pharaoh let them go. And so they leave Egypt. Pharaoh chases them down. They find themselves at the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. 
They walk across. The enemies of the people of God follow them through. The waters come over them and they die. The enemies of God are no more. And so this group of people for 40 years travel through the wilderness. And God's not happy with the way that they're thinking about God, the way that they're behaving, the way that they see themselves in God. And this is a mysterious journey that God takes them on. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks as a church. Nonetheless, God says to them, this generation that I've released from slavery, you're not able to walk into the promise because you're not able to follow me wholeheartedly. They kept on saying, we'd rather go back to slavery, to bondage, than follow you, God. Their attitude was off. And so God says, I can't build this new nation. I can't build this new people with that type of thinking. And so God says, I got to wait till your kids grow up a little bit so that they can be the ones to inherit the promise. And so we find ourselves in that next generation at Joshua chapter three. Moses has passed away. Now it's Joshua's leadership and they're on the banks of the Jordan River. Remember this. And God says to them, stop. Get ready. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow I'm gonna do wonders among you. Meaning tomorrow you're gonna walk into the promise that you've been pursuing all of these years. I'm going to do something new. And the instruction was this. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God in his people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant move, then you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Why? Because you've never been this way before. God was saying, you need to follow the Ark because I'm doing something new. Is there anybody in this room or online who knows that God is doing something new? But the only way to live in the new, God was saying through Joshua, is by following me into it. Nothing out of your own ability will help you get into the new except your ability to follow me. That's what we've been learning. Your ability to follow is contingent on seeing me, Joshua was saying. When you see the ark move, then you are to follow it. What does Isaiah say? Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you see it? Joshua 3, 5, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow God will do wonders among you. In other words, Joshua was telling the people, set yourselves apart to see, for tomorrow I'm going to do a new thing. Got it? Caught up? Those of you here here two weeks ago, you're like, old news, bro. Let's move on to something new. It's important that we frame, though, the next. So then what happens? Joshua says to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. God will do wonders among you. What were the wonders that happened the next day? Who knows? What were the wonders? Come on. Yeah, yeah the, the, the ark starts, stops, the ark starts moving. And it says when the priests who are carrying the ark put their foot in the Jordan River, the water stopped. They backed up. Meaning he parted this river for them supernaturally as soon as the priests put their foot in it. Now that's a wonder. Don't you think so? Tomorrow I will do wonders among you. This is amazing. Soon as their toes touch the Jordan, it splits. 
dry ground they can walk through. They don't have to swim. They don't have to build a bridge. They don't have to take a raft. They're going to walk on dry ground. Amazing. It's incredible. In fact, God actually did this once before, right? The Red Sea. But at the Red Sea, God's instruction was for Moses to raise his staff. Right? The waters parted. This time, God says, I'm going to do something new. It's not about the staff anymore. Moses is gone. It's about the priests. As soon as they step in, the waters part. So the waters parting weren't new. Can you imagine being in an environment in which waters parting is not a new thing? Like, they're used to this. Not a big deal. God shows up, heals cancer. We see it every single week. No big deal. Could it be that he's inviting us into a space that's that miraculous? That we have to remind ourselves of how wonderful he is. So the new wasn't even the part in the water. The new was how he parted the water. I'm about to do something new. But the greatest miracle, let me hear me, that wasn't the greatest miracle of that day. When he says, tomorrow I'll do wonders, it wasn't about parting the water, and it wasn't about how he parted the water. The greatest miracle was that it pointed to what would happen at the banks of the river, that same river, hundreds of years later. The greatest miracle wasn't the water parting. The greatest miracle was about to take place in a few hundred years at the very same spot. That's the tomorrow that Joshua was talking about. They had no clue. They thought it was about parting the river, going to the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. Well, God was saying, Jesus is about to show up at this exact same spot, and this will be the wonder that I'm preparing your hearts to see. You remember this from last week? Because John the Baptist shows up at the very same place we see it's happening in Joshua chapter 3. This wilderness man, this man that's been trained to recognize the Spirit of God. And when Jesus shows up, John says, I know exactly that it's him. I know exactly that, that that's the Messiah because the one who sent me, hang with me, the one who sent me told me when you see the Spirit descend on a man and remain on him. That's the one you should follow. Does that sound familiar? When you see the ark go, then you are to follow it. It was only prophesying Jesus, the one who was to come. John shows up and he says, we've been trained to see and to follow the one that the Spirit comes on. Powerful. The wonder wasn't the parting of the water. The wonder was the fact that Jesus, the Savior, the living, breathing person of God shows up to the very same spot hundreds of years later. Powerful, powerful stuff. When you see, follow. John the Baptist, who had all of these followers at the time, he said, I, my ministry must now decrease, and his ministry, Jesus, must increase. In other words, stop following me. He showed up. Start following him. When you see the ark move and the Levitical priests carrying it, then you're to move out from your position and follow it. He is the one you're to follow. So the ark was simply a prophetic foreshadow of Jesus. And what was the invitation of Jesus to all of his disciples? Come and follow me. Yeah. 
oh, I love the word of God. Can we just stop? I want you to see how beautiful this is. Consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart to see. For tomorrow I'll do wonders among you. Are you going to be able to recognize when Jesus shows up? Are you going to be able to see him? Drop what you're doing. The life that you've built in your own strength, put it away and start following him. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? So Jesus shows up right where John is ministering at the banks of the Jordan River, the place where John is preparing a people for Jesus, and something new happens. Can everybody say new? new. Something new happens. We pick up the story in Matthew chapter 3. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee, 3.13, when Jesus, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? You're the Messiah, and you want me to baptize you? Like John is, this is a curveball. John did not see this coming. He set apart his entire life to prepare for when Jesus came. He shows up, and then a curveball comes. Even for all of us who are trying our best with everything we can to see what he's doing, God still has curveballs for you. Which is why our hearts need to be soft to follow him, not what we think of him. So when he shows up, he might take us to a place that offends us like he did John. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Keep going. And then Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Let that minister to us today. Some of us just need to consent to what God is doing in our lives, even if it messes up our framework, even if it, it, it messes up our plans, what we thought life would be, even if we've been following Jesus up to this point, when he comes and says, I'm doing something new, let us be like John and consent. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So something new happens. Jesus shows up. And John's expecting to be baptized by Jesus. Of course, he's the Messiah. He's God incarnate. Why wouldn't John be baptized by Jesus? But Jesus replies and saying, no, this must happen to fulfill all righteousness. So in this, we have to understand who John is. John the Baptist says in scripture, and he says of himself that he was a prophet. He was a voice in the wilderness, one crying out, saying, make straight the way, make straight the path of the Lord. This was John the Baptist. So why was Jesus showing up to this man, John the Baptist, and saying, I need to be baptized by you? What well, says in Scripture that John was a descendant of Aaron. I mean, that John was supposed to be a priest. That his dad, Zachariah, and his mom, Elizabeth, they were, 
They were, they were of the priesthood, not his mom, but his dad, but the lineage of the priesthood. Therefore, if he was born as a son into that family, he was supposed to be a priest. This is who John was supposed to be according to their customs. He was in the lineage of the priesthood. And the priest, it was the priests who performed the sacrifices on behalf of the nation. Remember this? Why? For the atonement of their sins. Do you remember what was sacrificed twice a day? At the time of sacrifice? Remember what animal it was? Remember what was sacrificed on Passover? A lamb. What did John say when Jesus showed up? Behold the lamb. John, the lineage of the priesthood, the ones who sacrifice lambs to atone for the sins of the world. The priest is there. The lamb, the lamb, the one lamb that every lamb pointed to, the one lamb of God shows up. And Jesus says, I must be baptized by you. I am the lamb. You're the priest. This must be done to fulfill all righteousness. Why? Because Jesus was the one sacrifice, the one lamb that would be slain to end all sacrifice. So the Jordan River it literally means to flow down. The place where Jesus was baptized, the place where the Israelites crossed over, the place of of John's ministry, the Jordan River, it means to descend, to flow down. The Jordan River literally represented death. And so when John dunked Jesus under the River Jordan, it prophesied something yet to come. Joshua 3, look ahead to John the Baptist when Jesus shows up. But that still yet wasn't the wonder. It was still prophesying the wonder that the lamb in the hands of the priest would be dunked under the Jordan River that represented death. The lamb would be sacrificed. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. This must be done to fulfill all righteousness. And what it did was point to the cross. The last and final altar upon which the lamb of God would be slain for the forgiveness of sin. When his blood would flow to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, do you see what is happening here? Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? The sacrifice to end all sacrifices here. The first thing Jesus did in his public ministry was to go into the waters of the Jordan and say, this is what I'm on earth to do, to be the final, spotless, sinless lamb. This must be done to fulfill all righteousness. So simply put, the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan prophesied his coming death, his burial in the tomb under the water, and thank God, his resurrection. He didn't stay in the water. He came out. 
This, by the way, is why we get baptized. With him in his death, with him in his burial. And guess where our sins stay? Under the water. And we come up out of the water, a new creation. Cleansed from all unrighteousness. Perfect, spotless, sinless land who took our sins upon himself. People say, well, why did Jesus have to be baptized by John? John was baptizing for the repentance, for repentance, for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus didn't have any sin to repent of or need forgiveness for. But what he did was take our sin upon himself. And he was nailed, they were nailed to the cross with him, the scriptures say. This is why the Jordan River, Joshua chapter 3 matters. Because it was prophesying what was yet to come. But even more so, I want you to see something today. Hear me. I want you to see something today. You have a Jordan River. I wish I had the props team from Sunday school with me right now. You have the Jordan River, this barrier, this body of water that separated two things, the wilderness and the promised land. In other words, the Jordan River separated the old from the new. Let me repeat myself. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you see it? So one side represented the old, the other side represented the new. But listen, the only way to get from one side to the other was to see and to follow. To see the ark and follow the ark. It's the only way you can get from the old to the new. Well, I need some minds to be blown right now. Who knows where this is going? The only way to move from the old to the new is to follow Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The only way to cross over that barrier from old to new is to fix your eyes upon the author and the perfecter of your faith, the one that went first. And because he went first to fulfill all righteousness and we can see what he did, the only thing it invites us into is to follow him, to say, I surrender my life unto death, my sins buried once and for all under the water to come up alive on the other side. The only way, Joshua 3, they were to get to the other side, the promised land, was that they saw the ark and followed it because when the priests touched the Jordan River, it parted and they could walk dry, clean to the other side. The Jordan River represented salvation. I am doing a new thing. Can you see it? This is why we get baptized. You've never been this way before. You, young person, you don't know how to make something new of your life in the way that Jesus has promised. You don't know how to make something new in your marriage that's heading towards death. 
You don't know how to make something new in your identity that seems broken and you don't know how to get out. You don't know how to fix your addictions. You don't know how to move from this side to the the other side of the Jordan. It's exactly what Joshua says. When you see the ark, then you're to follow it. Why? Because you've not been this way before. Your life on this side of the Jordan looks like slavery, looks like addiction, looks like mindsets that we cannot break. And Jesus says, I've come to bring you salvation. Oh, I'm preaching. You can't get from here to there without following him. And the pathway he took was death. But death could not hold him down. Thank you, Brazilians. (laughs) The waters could not keep him under. And when he came up, heaven opened and a voice declared, this is my son. When you surrender your life to him and allow his blood, his sacrifice to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, you die, you're buried, and you come up, and God himself declares, this is my son, this is my daughter, and your future is not informed by your past. It's informed by the new creation he's done in you. I'm doing a new thing. Jesus says, you've not been this way before. You've tried all the things. The only way to get where you haven't been is by following me. Can we keep going? That was just the intro. Anybody want to get saved? I mean it. Saved again, maybe? Baptism tank. So, said that John the Baptist was a descendant of Aaron. John the Baptist had parents, obviously. His dad was named Zachariah. His mom was named Elizabeth. Zachariah was a priest. Why? Because he was a descendant of Aaron. And so was Elizabeth, by the way. So his pedigree, pedigree was like pure in that sense. Like everything pointed to this man being a priest. If you're born to this tribe, tribe, you had the pedigree of a priest. The scriptures say that Elizabeth was not able to conceive because she was old, and so was her husband. Like they were past the age of able to, to bear children, it says of the scripture. And there's this one day where just by like lottery, literally, the, the, the clan that Zechariah was part of was picked by chance, sovereignty of God, but by chance, his, his like people were picked to go into the temple, which means it was Zachariah's day just by chance to go into the temple as a priest and to burn incense. He goes into the temple on this day that he thinks nothing different about. He shows up and this angel comes and meets him in the temple. This angel, Gabriel, you guys know this story? He's performing his priestly duties. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said this, do not be afraid. He says this, you and your wife are going to have a son. And you are going to call him John. 
the Baptist, by the way, if you didn't make that connection. He starts speaking about the identity of his son. He says he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's born. He's going to bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He's going to make ready a people prepared for God. He starts prophesying about the destiny of their son, John. And then we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1. And Zechariah, John's dad, opens his big mouth in the temple, talks back to the angel of God. Luke chapter 1, 18. So Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Pause it there. Like nothing about where I've been shows me that I can get where you're calling me to go. Like everything in my life serves a purpose, and that purpose is to doubt the words that you've just spoken. Like the evidence of this body, as I look in the mirror, says you cannot have kids. I look at my wife. She's got a few too many wrinkles. Like... It ain't happening. How can I be sure of this? Mindset. Keep going. Then the angel said to him, can you imagine? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. This is scary now. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now ooh, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so he leaves the temple after this encounter with this angel. And obviously, you don't, you don't leave an encounter like this the same. People know what's up. Something happened. He goes home. He has some intimacy with his wife. She gets pregnant. Praise God. <laughs> I think we read these stories too many times. This is awesome. You guys are waiting for punchlines, I know. I've, I've treated you really poor. You're like, where are you taking me? No, this is great. It's a miracle. He didn't think they could get pregnant. The, the word of God comes, says you're going to get pregnant. How could this be? He's like, okay, let's try they get pregnant. But even when she gets pregnant, he's still unable to speak. In other words, the angel said, when this word is fulfilled, you're going to be able to speak. She's pregnant, and he's still not able to speak. Luke chapter 1, verse 57 when it was time for Elizabeth, his wife, to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, John. John the Baptist. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, this is the day when the Hebrew boys would be circumcised. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him, listen, after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. This woman spoke. The words of God. I felt when I was reading this that some of the most respected voices in this church are women. Hear me. Yeah, that's right, Brad. 
There are some women in this church that when they speak, starting with my wife, I'm like, what is God saying? (laughs) Out of the voice of Elizabeth came the truth of the word of God. She prophesied what God said. But what did these people do? They said to her, there's no one among your relatives. Can we just for a moment thank God for the women in our church? Every single Sunday, I lean over to my wife and I say, what's God doing? What's God saying? And if there's any, listen, young ladies, anybody, if there's anybody that's repressed the voice of God in your life, it's not right and it's not good. He spoke through her, Elizabeth, before he let her husband speak. It's the voice of God. It didn't have to be on a platform but it was the words of God. It was the truth of God. Amen. Amen. They said to her, there was no one among your relatives that had a name. Oh, let me keep going. Hang on a second. Because she saw the new thing that God was doing. Then they made signs to his father. Okay, you're a woman. We don't really respect your voice this time of history. Cool that you think this, but what about his dad? Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet, an iPad. (laughs) Listen, and to everyone's astonishment, they already heard it from Elizabeth. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Somebody gets it. And immediately... His mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. The fulfillment of the word of God did not come when she got pregnant, nor did it come when he was born. The fulfillment of the word of God was when his father spoke the identity that God had for his son. It wasn't until he declared his name that God opened his mouth. Why? Because that's what they would call him every time they addressed him. If his name was Zachariah, you know what they proclaimed? The old. This is the way things have always been. He should be a priest. And his name is Zachariah because my name is Zachariah. But when he called him John, he prophesied and proclaimed the new. And God made sure that whenever he addressed his son, he addressed him in the new, not the old. Because every time they would say his name, and every time you speak your children's name, you speak their destiny over them. And every time they said his name, John, they were prophesying the new thing God was doing. God did not let him speak until he agreed with the new things God was doing. Some of us husbands need to shut our mouths. I mean it. Until we can speak the new thing that God is doing. 
the new creation that is our wife, not the things she used to be or used to do, the new things that God is saying. Wives. I was going to say some of us, but some of you, this is going to sound really bad. Please do not clip this on YouTube. Some of you need to shut your mouths until you can exclusively speak the new. His name wasn't Zechariah like it was supposed to be. It was to be John. God shut his dad's mouth until he knew what he would say was according to the new and not the old. And then guess what? Zechariah starts prophesying. First, he starts prophesying about Jesus. And then he starts prophesying about his son, John. Look what he says about his son. Remember, in the tent. No, that's not it. 76. In the tent, in the tabernacle, in the temple, he says, how could this be? You don't have it? Okay, we got, I'll read it to you. Just listen. He says, and you, my child, will be called a priest? No. He says, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. He starts speaking destiny, prophesying over his life to give his people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. It was so important that Zechariah spoke the new thing God was doing that God did not let him say anything until his soul, his heart, his mind could come into agreement with it. I'm so excited about the word of God. This is where it lands, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you know what? Before you put it up there, I want to speak for a second. As if I haven't been doing that for the last. <laughs> when I prepare these messages, I, I, I sense the bigness of what God is saying and doing. And I don't even really have to speak it because it's just happening at, at his word. Like he's, he's accomplishing what he wants through, through his word. But I also see faces I see, I, see, I see marriages where the bigness of the gospel that's being unfolded through scripture, but you know where it has implication? In your heart. Not, this, not just the big story, the grand narrative of God and how cool he moved throughout history to prophesy the coming of Jesus. No, it has an effect in your heart. And in particular, it has an effect in your marriage. Whether it's past, present, or future. And I'm going to say this, even though you're going to hate me saying it, this one couple who I will not name, it's your faces I see. And you know exactly who you are. And you represent what God is doing and saying. He's moving something that represents the old and bringing it into the new. And I'm speaking over homes, lives, situations, and identities. He's taking something that represents the old and he's bringing it into the new, but it requires not just his work, your agreement with his work. Yeah. 
Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone, can everybody say anyone? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. And the new is here. I want you to know the tense of that language. It has gone, not will be gone. It has gone. And the new is coming. No, it's here. If anyone is in Christ, meaning you followed him into his death, his burial, his resurrection, the new is here. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Some of you need to look at your spouse and say you are a new creation in Christ. Oh, please, amen that. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, you and I, this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors of this message, of this ministry. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus said this, I am making all things new. There's a new heaven and there's a new earth. Some of what we walk in is still bound up by the old. Why? Because we're in these temporal bodies, this temporal earth that is decaying. But God in his infinite wisdom is still prophesying what is yet to come. And all will be made new. There will be no sickness, no disease, no pain. We'll be in union with him. We see how he did something new in our past, and we see how he's doing something new in our future. He's redeeming all creation, but he's also doing something new now. That your life, your words, your lips can represent what is yet to come. That even though I'm like Zachariah and I look around and I say, how can it be that I'm a new creation? I still have sickness in my body. I still have mindsets that I can't, how can I be what you're calling me, what you're saying that I am? It's a good question, isn't it? It's something that we wrestle through, isn't it? But it doesn't say that Christ is the exclusive one who has the message and the ministry of this reconciliation. It says that we are the ones who have this message and this ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is this. The old has gone, the new has come. 
and that he has forgiven us all our sins. I'm afraid that some of us sit idle in this and say, thank you, Jesus, that you see what's next and that you're taking my sin away, but what do I do here? And Jesus is telling us that you have a message and you have a ministry. Okay. Let's dig in. The other day, I woke up. I felt like the Lord asked me, and I, listen, this is not often that I'll say things like this, but I felt like the Lord asked me, felt this in my spirit, that he was leading me to this one place to minister to my wife. I want to go minister to your wife. My wife was struggling with something, that being our middle child. Because he's a rascal. I love him to death. We love him to death. But if you know Levi... He's a rascal. But I felt like the Lord asked me to go minister to my wife because she was struggling with his behavior, struggling with the way that he was acting out. Like, it was getting like, under her skin, and so we went out. Jam Cafe, shout out. <laughs> we went to Jam Cafe, and I started to open the word of God to my wife. I wanted to show her something, so I went to Genesis, the Old Testament. I found my son's name, Levi one of the sons of Jacob, and at the end of Jacob's life, he places his hand on Levi and Simeon and blesses them, but his blessing was kind of a curse, and says to them, you will always be ones who quarrel with the sword. You're going to be rascals. You're going to be ones that are always fighting and bickering and like doing weird things. Why? Because they were like men of violence. Like Levi was a bad dude. And I'm, I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, we named our son Levi. <laughs> but I'm like, watch this. Watch this. There's this moment in Israel's history. Where, you know, the golden calf moment. Moses goes up a mountain. And he meets with God and he gets these tablets, comes back down, and they're all partying. They're all drunk. They're all like going nuts. They built this golden calf. They're no longer worshiping Yahweh. Well, they think they are, but they're doing with this image. And Moses comes down and he's furious. Why would you defile God's name by, by worshiping a golden calf when you've seen how amazing he is? He's made himself personal. So he comes down and he's upset. It's a brutal story. But he takes a sword, draws a line in the sand and he looks at all these people who are in revelry and drunkenness and living in their flesh. And he says, any of you who are for Yahweh, come on this side. It says there is an exclusive group of people that went from partying to serving Yahweh in that moment. You know who it was? It was the Levites. It was the tribe of Levi. Yes, they were men of swords. They were men of violence. They executed revenge. They murdered people, but there was a moment in their history where God drew a line and asked the question, are you for Yahweh? They crossed the line, and they were the only ones, and it was that day that God says, you will be my priests. You will minister unto me and unto the people, and I will be your inheritance. I know this is about my son, but I'm sitting there looking at my wife, and I'm like, Sarah, 
The reason why I have hope in what God is doing in my son is because I can see it. God showed me what his future is going to look like. And so I had a message to give my wife, and the message was my son's not a Christian yet. (laughs) He doesn't know Jesus. Of course he's behaving like this. But it wasn't just a message, it was a ministry. 2 Corinthians says that God has given us a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation, meaning something is real in us, and then it becomes real when we speak it. John was not able to say anything about his son's future until it became real in here. And I sat across from my wife, and she was bawling her eyes out. Why? Because what was in me, what I saw in him, came out of my lips, and it ministered to her heart. And because the words I spoke were born in a truth that I saw in him, they now lived in her. That's called ministry. I can see who he's going to be. And so I'm going to speak that name, Levi. I'm going to speak it over his life. I mean, you're going to be one that ministers unto the Lord. And when everybody else chooses a different direction, you will stand and say, God, you are my inheritance. This is my son. (laughs) Ministry, message. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're Levi in the future, not Levi in the past. And God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. And this ministry declares the old has gone and the new has come. But it's also a message. Oh, I really need the Lord Jesus bring this home. I think sometimes our message is powerless because we're like Zachariah and we still have a little doubt. That we're more accustomed to the old and familiar with the language of the old than we are the new. But it says that if we're in Christ, we are a new creation. And so when we speak words of life and truth over people, they land awkwardly. Because we don't yet believe them in our own hearts. What if you every single day of your life declared to yourself through the word of God what Jesus says about you, that I am a new creation that I'm not the old, I am the new. And from that place, I will declare to the world, there is a new for you. What if we walked down East Hastings and declared the message of reconciliation that God in Christ is not holding our sins against us? And that message landed on soft hearts. Why? Because it's true in us. What if we spoke to our spouses and said, you are not that, you are this. And I'm gonna stop speaking to you like you're in the past and start speaking to you like you're in the future. How many marriages would be changed from that ministry? The old has gone, the new has come. Many of us are like Zachariah. You say, how can we be sure? Man, you can come. And so we unintentionally prophesy the old when we're called to speak to the new. And 
maybe the best thing God can do is shut our mouths and minister to our hearts so the next thing we speak is proclaiming the new. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you see it? The reason I walked us through all of that scripture today was so that we could see it. When we see what Jesus has done, it becomes real in us. It's not a metaphor or a religious jargon. The scripture doesn't say you are like a new creation. It says you are a new creation. And now, from that place, we have a message that comes out of our ministry. We speak because we see. And this, by the way, is where Word of Faith, the movement of Word of Faith gets it right. We need to start declaring what is true. When you start declaring what is good, God has given us a message, something to say. Declaring the new apart from the old. We need to speak. Joshua chapter 1, what was God's instruction to Joshua? Keep my word, my covenant, my command on your lips day and night. Speak the word of God. Speak the new. Prophesy what's next. Stop hanging on to what's old and speak the future that God has in store for you. Why? Because he went into the waters of the Jordan and said, come follow me. Oh, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm done. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Brett, where are you at? Not here, okay. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. Get rid of the old. And let us run with perseverance the race, listen, marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It says here, lock your eyes on Jesus, the one who went first, because he is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. When we see him go to the cross, we can follow him to the cross, because on the other side of that death is new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody close your eyes. I really feel in my heart sense that there's some people in this room that have experienced pain, like tremendous pain. Oh, it's heartbreaking to feel. And it's so hard. It's so hard to look to any future when you're carrying on to that pain. But that's the beauty of the cross. He took that pain for us. He endured a pain far greater than we could ever endure so that we could see him and find comfort in him so that we could see the future that he's talking about, the new heavens and the new earth. 
where every tear will be wiped from our eye. I feel so strongly this morning that God wants to give us a new perspective of the pain that is still holding on so tightly. Scriptures say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's a bright future that Jesus has in store for us. And he went through all of this so that we could see. So as we close and the Holy Spirit ministers truth today, as we do, I just want you to make a declaration today. We're gonna do it with our mouths, but we're first gonna do it with our bodies. But I want you to stand up, but just wait. If you wanna align yourself, whether you feel it or not, with the truth of the word of God, it says in him, if you are in him, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. If you're in him, before we respond, I wanna ask this question. There's anybody in this room or online that has not found themselves yet in Christ. You have not decided to follow him, to surrender your life to him in his death so that you can be forgiven of all sin because his blood that was shed forgives you of all unrighteousness the moment that you say yes in faith to it. And then because he rose from the grave on that third day, you too will rise into new life with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you today want to receive new life in Jesus, I just want you to slip your hand up so we can pray with you. I see your hands. Keep them up. Be bold. Surrendering your life to Jesus. Thank you. Let's just pray together. Say, Jesus, those who raise your hands, say, Jesus, I see. I see what you've done. I see the cross. I see why your blood had to be spilled from me. And now I receive. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, you're not holding my sin against me. And that in you I can have new life. For I am a new creation, created in Christ, his artwork, so that I can do good works. For the rest of us in this room, if you see now why it's so painful to stay connected to the old when God has liberated you in Christ into the new and you want to declare today that I will not speak the old but I will prophesy and proclaim the new, I just want you to stand to your feet right now. Do it like you mean it over your mind, over your hearts, 
over your addictions. Come on, freedom in the name of Jesus. And team, I want you, we got we got three two and a half instruments. I want you to get it loud and proud as declarative. I want you to proclaim the truth with as much boldness as you have by the Holy Spirit. You're going to prophesy like Zachariah life over the future of everyone here. And if you know this to be true in your life, out there or at home, I want you to declare with everything that you are the truth of the word of God. There's power. You saw it. There's power in what you speak in the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. Listen. Speak the new. Prophesy the new. God has given you a ministry and a message of reconciliation. And if it doesn't work here in this church, how's it going to work out there? The ministry is real to my wife because it was real in me. And when it's real in you, it will speak louder than anything this world can tolerate. They will have no choice but to surrender to what you're saying because it's so real. If there's anything stirring in your heart today by the word of God out of my my life because it's real to me. I am a new creation in Christ. Where are the newly created ones? Jesus went to the cross, died a brutal death, mocked and humiliated in front of everyone. The creator of this universe subjected himself to his own creation, and they murdered him so that you and I can be forgiven and find new life in him. And we have here now this moment to recognize and see what he did for you and I. And now it's time to declare the truth of the new creation that is in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Come on, let's lift our hands. Let's honor the one who went first, the pioneer, the perfecter. Come on, lift your hands.